Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Sean's Wildlife. I am very, very excited. Any of you regular listeners will know that rewilding is a real passion uh, topic for me and I'm very, very excited to have a very, very exciting group talking to us for this episode. Two guests for the price of one. I'm going to be talking to Heal Rewilding and I've got Hannah Needham and Jan Stannard on the line with me. Uh, Thanks for joining me guys. It's really great to have you on the podcast. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. No problem, no problem. Um, so I am very excited by what you guys are doing with Heal Rewilding. Um, just a little bit about each of you. Jan, you're the chair of trustees for this new rewilding organisation, isn't that right? That's right. Yes, I um, co-founded Heal um, and I'm the person who has driven the project um, in terms of research and planning over the last couple of years. Um, yeah. And yes, and and now I get to run the show um, in the form of a charity as opposed to a business, which is the background I'm more used to. But yeah, that's what I do. Great. And Hannah, you are junior director and the leader of uh, a kind of a subsection called Heal Future, isn't that isn't that right? Yes. So I've um, got a conservation background, um, and Jan and I met through our own uh, local wildlife groups that we run in our town. And, um, yeah, Jan approached me one day and said that she wanted to have a youth panel because having youth involved in HEAL was really, really important to her. And so that's where it's come from. Yeah, I ended up setting up a whole network and here we are. Great. Yeah, well, there's exciting stuff in store. I think when we had a little catch up and got to know each other before the episode, we realised all three of us have a similar background in setting up a local wildlife group. Isn't that right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. So we've got, a, we've got a lot in common. Um, so I think before we get into the kind of ins and outs of heel rewilding, who you are, where the idea came from, what's your vision? Um, maybe you just talk to some of the listeners who aren't so familiar with what is rewilding itself and, and why is it important? Um, I, I'll start, Hannah, shall I? And you can, you can come in if you want to add anything to it. The, the way to think about rewilding, which is the most exciting way of thinking about it, I, I, I believe, is nature being in charge. So, we as humans are very used to um, managing land that the land can't somehow do without us. But when you um, have a piece of land um, where you plan to to do rewilding, it's about um, nature doing what it does, which it it knows very well after millennia. Um, So the idea is nature um, having having its own way. There are technical definitions and the one that we've adopted um, is a, a, a relatively simple one, which is the idea of the reinstatement of natural processes to produce a fully functioning ecosystem. So there are two very different ways of looking at it, but that, in essence, is what it is. And we can get more complex than that, but that is the top line, I think. I'm sure you'll have something to yes. add, Hannah. 
No, I think that's a great, um, great definition. What about you, Hannah? Do you think that's kind of where you, where you would come from? Yeah, it's, as well? for me, it's about um, like kind of my definition that I often give, really simple one is um, giving nature back the tools that it needs to heal itself. So humans have altered the landscape over thousands of years and we've hunted the top predators and we've hunted large herbivores. And now there are fragments of the ecosystem that are missing. And so this has a whole bunch of effects with the different types of plants that we get and the invertebrates. And it's really, really hard to predict it. So rather than um, kind of traditional conservation approach, which is, uh, humans deciding kind of the outcome of what the habitat should be like rewilding is more about putting back the creatures and the bits of the ecosystem that we destroyed trying to mimic natural processes and give nature the helping hand that it needs to put itself put itself right again yeah yeah and it does divide opinion a little bit doesn't it and can become quite a contentious topic trying to define rewilding or even trying to kind of define what is rewilding in the UK, for example. So Hannah, like you've mentioned about, you know, apex predators coming back into the ecosystem. And I think at the moment in society, people are very scared of that kind of true rewilding concept of having, you know, wolves or bears living back in the wild in the UK. So at some points, uh, we need to not be so puritanical about it and actually be more pragmatic about rewilding can be a blend of letting nature kind of work to its own uh rhythm but also it does need some human intervention as well would you would you agree i would say i would say so because they're you know it's a bit boring but there is still legislation in place so we can't go fully wild but it's about as going as wild as we possibly can um we, yeah within the confines of our system and human intervention is justified if it can mimic natural processes but the idea is to have humans step back as much as possible and I think that's what really chimes with people is the idea that actually it's humans saying for once that we don't necessarily know best and giving nature a chance to decide for itself. Yeah and we've seen with lots of other rewilding projects the kind of surprising results and incredible results that can pop up once we step off that uh, obsession with management. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, in terms of heel rewilding you're Jan, you said, you know, it's been in the idea stage for a couple of years now and um, you launched, was it March this year that you launched the organisation? Yeah, 30th of March. Yeah. So what is Heal Rewilding? What is your your concept and your vision? Heal's vision is to bring everyone together to buy land and rewild it um, through fundraising from anyone if they have two pounds or two million pounds it's a way of (laughs) it's a way of wishful um, thinking yeah yeah. um we we saw the need to um give more space to nature and the government's goal to have half a million hectares of new wildlife rich habitat new or restored wildlife uh, rich habitat and just felt that there was a climate emergency and a biodiversity emergency, and we just really had to do things quickly. And we kept seeing people saying, um, if only I could have a piece of my own land. I live in the city. If only I could somehow take action and make a difference. And it was this plaintive, the plaintive calls of people from all, all over the country, particularly, particularly on Twitter, um, saying that that made us think actually if we could create 
an organization that could allow these people to become involved um that it it could succeed and so a year ago we started to um put the plans together um and it took quite a long time just because doing planning properly and research properly um is is time consuming um but but we had our march the 30th launch from last year uh, and then everyone said aren't you going to cancel we said no it's an emergency why would we stop we have to carry on but the what what lay at the the heart of it for me personally um i'm in my early 60s it's been our generation that have lived through um nature being much more abundant and uh, to the place it is now and i just felt that um i'm able to dedicate time to this and uh, i just had to do everything i could because if you love something and you know it could die without your help why would you stand by i mean that's i really felt it powerfully and um and that's been reflected in the reaction we've had. So that that's sort of how it came about. How can we find a, a systematic way of involving everyone together um, in a way that's not for profit, but for the wild things and for all of us as, as, as people as well to be involved, um, not just in contributing, but visiting um, once we have our sites underway. Yeah, yeah. The thing that really excited me about it when I heard about it first is just what you've touched on there that, you know, I know loads and loads of people who are passionate about nature and wildlife and restoring ecosystems and things, but individually don't have, you know, the finances or the time or the ability to do that at scale. And I think one of the key aspects of of true rewilding is you have to do it at scale to allow those natural processes to come back in. Um, to to the ecosystem and your model of you know basically pooling everyone's resources into one big impactful project or indeed several sites within the one kind of heel rewilding umbrella is just so so clever um and i'm i'm kind of very buoyed by the fact that you you know you say you've had a great response and that you are getting donations and and this looks like it's going to happen now Yes. And you must be equally excited with your progress, are you? Oh, it's it's been really interesting to live through what it's actually like instead of what you think it's going to be like, because mm. we had this idea. No one's tried it in this form before. And I, I was monitoring my levels of confidence and self-belief from the very beginning. And to begin with, there's so much uncertainty. And what happened was, as we were having conversations quietly with a lot of um, uh, organisations like Rewilding Britain, like Natural England, um, in the early stages, their reaction was so positive that it, it just sort of incrementally every week it built and built and built until we launched. And then we then we realised that that sort of pre-launch um, experience was going to be matched by the reaction and we we keep having to remind ourselves how young how little we are um Mm -hmm. and I had a conversation with someone today who thought we were a couple of years old and that was extraordinarily gratifying yeah yeah Hannah you can attest to you've done about a year's work since March I'm sure have you (laughs) absolutely um (laughs) we didn't really we didn't anticipate that it was going to be massive to the extent that it was which is silly of us because rewilding Britain told us that it would be um (laughs) But for example, I, you know, I, I recruited a youth panel and 
I had no idea that I'd get nearly a hundred applications. It was just crazy. Um, yeah. From people all over, all over the UK, Northern Ireland, Scotland. It was brilliant. Brilliant. Mm. Yeah. We'll get to the uh, youth panel in a bit, because I think that's another really, really clever and fantastic thing to do is there's no point in, you know, people in their 40s, 50s, 60s leading on this. We have to encourage the younger generation in as well. So we'll get to that in a second. But I wanted to talk to you about um, I was talking just before we we uh, started recording about um, your website. And what I really like about it is it very simply explains what needs to be done, what rewilding is and what your vision is. And I think for me, you've really spelled it out very well with kind of a three point plan. So you talk about rewilding, well-being and climate change being the three pillars of, of what you do. Yeah. Can you just talk us through those three things? We've obviously we've covered rewilding to a certain extent. So maybe let's talk about kind of the well-being aspect. You talk about healing ourselves and then you talk about healing our planet and the climate as well. Yes, the disconnection with nature um which is a reality for a huge huge numbers of people either because well multiple reasons the first is they don't live in places where they see nature there's not enough green we are relatively speaking um quite well um provisioned with green spaces in cities but still a lot of people don't see it they don't spend time outside anymore um and they don't have the knowledge, uh, and many people listening will remember the um, uproar there was when one of the dictionaries dropped um, a number of words that are uh, from a children's dictionary, like acorn. Yeah. And it was really... A black, blackberry changed to a technological device exactly. and a berry, didn't it? <laughs> and, I, and I think that was, you know, it's it's a question of chicken and egg, really, but, but they would say that the words are recognised by children. But I, I just thought that was a really... That was a sad moment. Um, so, uh, yes, yeah, so so the well-being um, thread is, it's quite personal for me because I go out into, well, and it's a really good example today. I ran a project to replace some swift nest sites that I can see from the house, and it's been in place for six years. And... Um, today, for the first time, we saw swifts using two of these um, replacement swift boxes, oh, and brilliant. I had—I have had the most buoyant <laughs> afternoon because the the this there's this enormous satisfaction and knowing that this threatened creature now is going to you know have, have a nest. So it's um it's a very emotional nature can be a very emotional um. Uh, thing to have in your life and but the the scientific evidence of um the healing powers of nature I first became aware of because I have my first degree is in geography but my second is in psychology which I did relatively recently and okay. one of the really interesting studies is someone is an, an ex, not experiment but a p- series of people who were in hospital and the clear evidence was that those who could see green from a window got better faster and I was so struck by that and the link is they think is um, us 10,000 years ago on the plains of Africa being able to see green meant water and so it meant life so it has this deep primal um, it causes nourishing us, yeah. yeah so so um there are lots of other things. Soil has got microbes that are really good for you. Um, babies will eat soil if they're given the chance. 
Um, and we had Lucy Jones on as a guest uh, webinar guest recently, and she talked in, in great detail about the link. But essentially, um, nature is very good for us in many, many ways. And you can only experience that if you can be in it or see images of it to some degree. So that's what we're keen to to um, to, to create that experience for people so that they can have their well-being improved by spending time in nature. And then, yeah, definitely. We're seeing that more and more now, aren't we, yeah. with, with lockdown and people being trapped indoors and things like that. You know, especially I've seen it on Ealing Wildlife Group a lot where people are just saying, if I didn't have my daily walk in nature or if I can't live vicariously through everyone else posting on the Facebook group what they're seeing in nature, um, they would be having a much harder time. Yes, de- definitely. The other, the other interesting link is with mindfulness. So one of the things that I've been really struck by and, and um, Emma Mitchell, who wrote The Wild Remedy, um, talks about this, but it's the noticing. So instead of walking quickly through somewhere and just seeing a big landscape, you stop and look at the bark of a tree or the shape of a leaf or the 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 stamens in a flower or whatever. So it's it's um it's about noticing and noticing is very good for you um psychologically because it's slowing you down. You're attending to something. Um, it's good for your focus, ability to focus. So there's there's lots of really positive things, even just going out for a walk, if you can apply yourself in a slightly different way. So that's yeah, the, and if you can put your phone back in your pocket, right? Your pocket. <laughs> Although I always carry, I'm talking about you, Hannah, I always carry mine because I always see things I want to photograph. Take pictures, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. But I've, um, I, I, invertebrates have become, insects are so key and I've really started to look at insects more in the last year just to see the beauty of them they are amazing things yeah and the mind-bogglingly um array of different species and so things, many right? so many um so yeah. that's the well-being part and um the climate change um aspect the last year's uh, actions around um, the climate change with the school strikers and Greta and XR, Extinction Rebellion, um, were very influential upon me personally and on other trustees, actually. So um, mm. we there are many ways in which rewilding affects climate change. And I know it's one of the things you spoke to um, Dominic Buskell about when you did the Wild Ken Hill podcast, which I commend, yeah. I commend to listeners. Yeah. It's a really good um, episode. Um, but the one that's really interesting to us, I, I'll, I'll, ha- I'll hand over to Hannah to talk a little bit more about, but it's about how um, soils, recovering soil and um, re- vegetation that's, that's growing in, in the way that vegetation does if you, if you don't mow it or let it be completely eaten by livestock, um, those, those processes capture carbon. So in its simple way, the carbon sequestration processes of rewilding um have a positive contribution to climate change and become almost a carbon sink correct and um when when you were talking about farming it's the it's the cessation of um carbon generate carbon dioxide emission generating activity but and, and in this case when we acquire our sites it'll be about the restoration which is increasingly capturing carbon but hannah's done this really interesting recent piece of work that um she could tell you about great so i was so lucky that when the heal future panel applications opened up 
we got lots of clever people, ecologists, conservationists and researchers contacting us, offering us their time. And one of the brilliant people that we have is Chris Taylor from Sheffield University, who's a PhD student studying ecosystem carbon. And he's led a team who are looking at the different, um, looking at the carbon capture potential of all the different habitats that you might find in an English lowland. So cropland, um, pastureland, shrubland, woodland. And we've been modelling all of the different scenarios that we might get through rebuttal through rewilding and so we've been having a look at the the time scales how long it might take for these different habitats to appear and we are now calculating exactly how much carbon might be captured in you know for example somebody's lifetime so if if they were to support heal by rewilding their own square of land they could actually measure how much carbon they'll capture and we can tell them what it's equivalent to you know for example a a um tin of petrol or something like that so things yeah. are really really important to the younger generation as well um who are so passionate about climate change and when it came to the school strikes i actually ended up in them completely by accident because i'd gone to meet my mp to talk about the environment bill and i walked out into westminster when it was happening and i was so amazed at how many young people all different ages all different backgrounds everything which just everyone had turned out and that's when I realized you know biodiversity and climate change we know that they go hand in hand but we need to get the messages out to young people hand in hand so that's why climate is a really important thread for heal because we can't talk about biodiversity and ignore climate at the same time definitely yeah I really like that that you can you know you've started to quantify and tell people this is the difference you can make because it's sort of sometimes you know, when we talk about climate change or carbon and things like that, they can kind of seem like abstract concepts. And unless we kind of quantify them or tell people, you know, this is the impact that you would have if you did this, which is equivalent to, it's getting those right messages, I think, to inspire people that you can make a difference as an individual, Absolutely. isn't it? And I think with um, capturing carbon through rewilding, it's a totally different ball game to planting trees. That's something I learned recently yeah. is that when you plant trees, because you have to disturb the soil to put the tree in, you actually have a, a year or so where the total carbon emissions are still increased as a result of your tree planting. And it takes two years before the carbon absorbed back in the soil actually starts to go down. So that's you know completely crazy that by trying to plant trees to capture carbon for a little while you actually make it go up so trying to communicate to people that natural regeneration of trees creates healthier trees creates healthier soil and all of these things have much more you know much more value than just carbon and biodiversity yeah and tree growing actually you know growing them in nurseries and all this kind of stuff is is carbon inefficient as well they're transporting them you know nature knows best that's kind of the whole principle of heal so if we can apply that to climate solutions where possible it's preferable yeah and rewilding will generate its own trees from the natural kind of seed bank and dispersal animals and things like that won't it It well and the trees producers are more resilient they they can cope better with drought they can cope better with disease and they have the mycorrhizal networks under the ground which is their way of communicating with each other so overall, it's a much healthier ecosystem. Yeah. And more diverse. Changing hearts and minds. Yeah. And more and diverse, more diverse yeah, suited to the local yeah. environment, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So going back then a little bit um, to kind of the the organisation and how it came about, you've got a fairly unique setup, um, you know, with kind of um, founders and, and board of trustees and things. 
um, and quite a broad range of experience and backgrounds. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about a kind of a summary of who is involved and what kind of uh, different skills and, and backgrounds you have on the team? Yes, we're we're Hannah is our um, is our scientist, our conservationist. The 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 six trustees um, are all experienced um, business people. So we have um, a trustee. So my background in business was initially in um, strategic communications. So I worked for an international PR firm. Um, then set up my own PR firm, but then I moved into tech. So I've always done quite a lot of tech stuff. Um, and then latterly, um, some psychology work and I'm a trained coach. So it's been quite a varied life, but you can fit quite a lot in, in, uh, (laughs) um, and then my co-founder, the co-founder trustee is my husband, Jeremy Coulter, who was a motoring journalist originally. And then he also became involved in some software ventures and he is now um, leading a a startup called Book My Charge, which is like Airbnb for electric cars. It was his concept. So, oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah, so you can charge at other people's houses, which is really clever. Yeah. Um, and that's a couple of years old and growing steadily. Um, so that's his background. So, and I, I do a bit of writing, so we both love writing. And then we have, um, uh, Jonathan Simnet. He, um, also has a background in PR, um, and tech, but he most recently has done work in mergers and acquisitions. Um, so he now has quite a good finance background, which is, um, really helpful and just generally understanding how, organizations and people uh, work um then we have cindy barnes and cindy we met both hannah and i met her through wildlife work locally and she has a background as a management consultant um but she stopped doing that a few years ago and she retrained as a therapist for highly sensitive people so she's had quite an interesting journey from a, a very corporate life to this life as a therapist um and um Piers Watson he, he came to us when he was um head of customer propositions at AXA so he's come from the insurance sector he's he really understands how to um find the value in something and how to express that so that's really useful for us um and then finally, Donna Stimson, who is a councillor locally where I live in the borough of Windsor Maidenhead, and she runs the sustainability on the cabinet. Um, but she heard about Heal and said, I have to become involved. And um, yeah, so she's also got a management consultancy background um, and and also property, which is quite will be quite useful when the time comes for us to acquire our yeah. sites. So that's the mix. And then we, as our founding patron, we have the inimitable Ted Green, who, if you look at Isabella Tree's book, the words Ted Green are the first two words in her book in chapter one. And he Uh lives 10 minutes away from where I'm speaking to you from. And he was introduced by a mutual naturalist friend. And um, he agreed to be a patron. So we're really uh, honoured to have um, Ted advising us. And then we have a long list of advisors um of all types 
Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, um, Hannah, you mentioned it, that you've been very surprised, pleasantly surprised by the number of people outside of the organisation that have stepped up now to offer their kind of advice and expertise and support. It was it was so funny in the first few weeks, I'd say to Jan, oh, um, you know, like the head of PR and I'd say the company's name. And to me, I didn't know who it was. I'd say, oh, the head of PR at so-and-so. And she said, what, really, them? <laughs> so that high level <laughs> skill come to us. It was so great. And, you know, even if they could only chat to us for an hour a week or even less, it was such honestly such talent came straight to us it was really good yeah yeah and have you partnered with Annie you mentioned um the guy from university doing his PhD on climate change but have you partnered with any kind of you know other universities or kind of research bodies or wildlife trusts or anything like that yeah um we've just developed our pond policy with the freshwater habitats trust we have a really relationship with them um we've had loads of good conversations with natural england um yeah, there are various different organisations who are reaching out to us to get in touch. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, exciting stuff coming. And um, at the start, you mentioned about kind of getting in touch with Rewilding Britain. And they were telling you, you know, you're you're going to be successful. There's so much appetite for this right now. Can you just talk a little bit about how that relationship works and, and what's the difference between an organisation like yourselves and um, the organisation Rewilding Britain? Yes, maybe? we when the model for HEAL finally revealed itself um, last summer, the, the first two, two organisations we went to were Rewilding Britain and NEP. Um, to let them know what our plans were um, for, for obvious reasons um, in that the net model has been so influential and we plan to be in the lowlands like NEPIs, so that was that one. But for Rewilding Britain, um, we saw them as the source of um, policy and um, influence and lobbying and um, looking at what research is coming out, um, talking to large landowners, and we want to be a rewilding landowner so they are the organization to whom we would go yeah and I think when we first went to them they weren't really so clear on that they because we're a charity like they are they didn't initially understand that we were if I say a level down I don't mean it quite like that but essentially we are focused on becoming a rewilding landowner that's it um and and they are in this um they're 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 like um they're sort of ahead of, like an industry association in a way um and the work they do is really complementary and and the relationship has evolved and um we have really good conversations with 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 um Alistair Driver who's director and Rebecca Wrigley who's CEO so yeah it's a very close relationship and the word that Alistair Driver used was inundated <laughs> he said you'll be inundated <laughs> And in fact, the commonality between those two organisations, NEP and Rewilding Britain, which Heal is now um, unavoidably inheriting, is the the volume of emails that we we struggle to catch up with an answer. So if anyone's listening that has written to us and hasn't heard back, we're really sorry. We are literally gasping for the oxygen of time because there isn't enough and we're doing everything we can to respond. But it's, uh, yeah, so... See, I, I circumvented the old email inbox, Jan, and I messaged you, did, you on Twitter, didn't I? Effective. <laughs> I would definitely yeah, yeah. Have, so there's a little tip for we'd have, we'd have We'd have seen that. And if you'd said podcast, we'd have, we'd have leapt. But there, every message is important to us. We 
some is just support, some is asking about help. And that's where the good relationship with Rewilding Britain has been so um, effective for people who've come to us. And we can say, we're the people you you should talk to are Rewilding Britain because they are setting up a, a small scale rewilding network. Um, so a lot of people. Yeah, and network networking and is so key, key isn't it? Especially yeah. for, for you guys fundraising mm. and that. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Now, talking about fundraising and finances, you've got big goals. You're aiming to raise seven million by 2022. That's your target. Um, is that looking achievable, do you think? When we looked at, well, the first thing to say, and I don't think, have I said it so far, but we, 500 acres plus is the size. And you talked about the significance of scale. And you have to balance yeah. uh, being affordable with scale. And land is extremely expensive, particularly in the south of England, even marginal, relatively marginal yeah. land. So what we did was work out how much a 500 acre, 200 hectare um, farm, because we're looking for buildings for reasons that we can come on to and talk about, but we're 500 hectares, and that's five million pounds, slightly under, depending on where you are. And we'd obviously need then money to develop the facility in the way that we would we would want. So um, it does depend on there being farms to buy, but farms obviously come up for sale. Um, and what what I'm personally doing is saying the number as quickly as possible, so it doesn't sound so big. <laughs> mm. you, have to, you know, yeah. you have to go. You have to have a vision. You have to be really bold and bearing mind. Aim high. Right? And this is not a site. <laughs> this is the first of 48 sites. So we want Heal Wiltshire, Heal Oxfordshire, Heal Surrey, Heal Lancashire. You know, we, we want a Heal site in every single county. And if everybody joins and helps us, that is entirely possible. And the, and the, um, the individual giving we've talked about is only one of nine streams it depends how you define them but nine or ten streams of potential funding um and when you list those you realize just how many places you can start to look um for making this work and we are absolutely sure that we will get this done and we don't know by when um but it could be sooner than 2022 it could take a little bit longer but we know we're going to do it we just had some of the things that have happened suggest to us that it absolutely will happen. Oh, I have no doubt it will happen either. I'm 100% behind you. I think you've got a great team and a great idea and the appetite, as I say, is there. Um, you know, I've talked to you about my own rewilding dreams for the future, but um, I'm, I'm well behind and I think you're going to do fantastic things um, in, in the meantime. So if you, um, let's say if you didn't reach that kind of target, would you kind of go ahead with a, a scaled down version maybe, or like not reach for the maybe 500 acres plus first, or is that scale really something that you can't compromise on? It's so hard to answer that at such a young age. Um, we, my, my instinctive answer is that failure is not an option we can't afford to allow this to fail we Gosh. have to do this for nature yeah nature's in such a state we're 187th out of 214 countries or i think that's right but but you know we have yeah. we cannot we cannot fail and um but the reality is yeah. if we get year and a half in and we have a tiny amount of money then we'll obviously revisit it but i think that's 
extremely unlikely. So we'll always have an option of extending the time. And the other thing that's happened is our main model is to buy because then you control it. You control what happens on it. We own it in perpetuity. People know if they sponsor some land and we'll come on and talk about that but um that, that that's forever and that's really really important to us yeah um so if we take an ex- extra year that wouldn't you know that that's that's possible but i think we'll be fine within two years that's my prediction is we'll start to be like dominoes once we've done the first one that the other ones will follow much more rapidly yeah good stuff good stuff and obviously you talked about the streams and, and things and private donations and individual donations are really important but what are the government what commitments have the government made um, about rewilding or giving space back you, you talked about their commitment to was it rewild or have space for nature 500,000 hectares or something by a certain time yes in the government's 25-year environment plan the goal is to address um, species declines and habitat loss through the restoration or creation of new wildlife-rich habitats, wildlife-rich areas. Um, And COVID has rather thrown things, COVID-19. So um, there are funds that um, would apply potentially to rewilding land. One is the Nature for Climate Fund. One is the Trees Fund, although, as Hannah's explained, that one is, um, it depends on the definition. If they will include vegetation, then that would work for us. Um, and the other is flooding yeah. because rewilding land, which has been, um, which has healthy soils and vegetation cover, holds water much better. So if you have a large rewilding area in an upland uh, above a, you know, above a, a town, it would, it would act to slow um, flooding. So there are. It acts almost as a sponge, correct, doesn't it? And keeps it does. Alive that water and so there are those three pots which we know about, but we're now starting the process of um, establishing how we how we access those and whether they've been preserved in the face of um, in the face of um, COVID nineteen emergency. Um, so that's and then the other is the is the land use funding system. Let's call it, which is been devised and used for decades to support the farming system um, but is being revised post-Brexit in the form of the Environmental Land Management Scheme or ELMS as it's called and that's only in its trial phase at the moment but um, it's in consultation consultation, yeah and it's it the rollout is through to 2028 but um Either higher stewardship or the new environmental land management scheme um, will also provide government-based funding. Um, but there are there are many other ways in which we can um, attract funding besides besides government, which is really important because I think um, you have to have a broad base of sources, and that's possibly where the business background comes in. Um, that we see all these different ways of setting up funding. Um, streams which would grow over time yeah there's a lot of unknowns at the moment really isn't there in terms of how you can launch a project like this or what kind of support you're going to get from the government for example down the line there's there's quite a few unknowns I know from kind of researching it myself it's kind of very daunting it must be a very daunting task to kind of be facing into the unknown to a certain extent but luckily I guess you've got people like Rewilding Britain and the NEP estate to talk to about their challenges and and kind of advice for for newbie rewilders, I suppose. And, it's, and it's, this is the direction of travel. 
This is the you know, we, so yeah. many people are heading in this direction. Net did the hard yards because of some of the work they had to do with Natural England, um, and yeah. we are grateful. We're standing on the shoulders of you know people like Net, yeah, the the um, Wickham Fen people, the uh, Wild Ennerdale. You know, there are loads of amazing rewilding projects that have. Um, preceded this and it's really interesting actually because I'm a trained resilience specialist and that's what you need Hannah's also a very optimistic positive cheerful person she and I really make a good team because we both just have such strong belief in this that it is daunting but but there are very few days when I haven't got up and thought we're absolutely going to do this do you feel the same Hannah more more exciting more exciting than daunting is it Hannah do you agree well, it's something that I was, I became really passionate about after hearing Isabella, Isabella Tree speak. And then I went to a rewilding conference and I left it feeling so excited. I'd heard all of these amazing speeches and presentations about a new vision for the future. And I absolutely loved it. And then I left it thinking, well, what am I going to do? Because I'm not a landowner. I don't have any land. It's going to take me years to work my way up to a job where I have say over you know for example how the wildlife trust manages their land and then so I didn't really know what to do so I what I set about doing was rewilding people through a local group and then I met Jan and she had this enormous vision for a charity and suddenly because she believed it could be done I suddenly believed it could be done it's really infectious optimism is so infectious Mm. and as soon as you get enough people together to you know believe in a vision that benefits everybody and nature all of a sudden it becomes achievable yeah couldn't agree more and Hannah I wanted to talk about I'm really interested um, to talk about your role within HEAL and specifically HEAL Future so um, can you just explain a little bit about what that is and why why it's important so when you're thinking about Heal, Heal is Heal is a charity dedicated to improving the future, and it's we have a a group of trustees and then Jan who are of a certain age, and they have said to us, as you know, our our age group, teenagers and and you know people in our twenties, you are the people that are going to be living through the future that we're engineering now. So it's not only kind of the right thing to do to have young people having a say, but it's also the sensible thing to do. So um, there are you know loads and loads of really in, engaged young people in the in the world of in the world of climate change, and rewilding is a kind of a new sort of alternative biodiversity movement that has captured the imaginations of a lot of people um and it's what i think rewilding has done that conservation how it's different to conservation is conservation i think is quite a species specific thing you know you might want to save a butterfly a a certain type of species of butterfly or you know certain types of birds whereas i think rewilding is, is slightly bigger picture it takes into consideration so many different things like water quality and soil quality and air quality and it's that really nice blend of biodiversity and climate and so heal future as a youth network um that's what it is it's 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 a network for anyone under the age of 30 who would like to be involved in our rewilding project um has 
captured the imaginations of all sorts of young people who aren't otherwise engaged in nature. They don't, you know, they don't go out volunteering on their nature reserve. They don't, they're not your typical conservationist. We have, we have young people who work as management consultants and in various different industries who have been inspired by reading about us to get involved. So, so the Heal Future Network, um, is about I think it's about 200 young people strong now and it's a way that young people can feed in their ideas to heal and actually shape the development of our charity um so we also have a youth panel which is uh, a group of 10 young people aged 15 to 27 who have a variety of jobs we have two conservationists but also people in industry, students studying various different things. And they are kind of our formal sounding board. We go to them specifically with an idea or a policy and say to them, do you think this appeals to young people? And by, by running our ideas past young people, we can check that is, you know, is this the, fu- the, the future that we're building for you? Is it, is it, does it work for you? Is it, is it actually? Is it what you want? Yeah. yeah. And especially when it comes to something I'm really passionate about is making nature accessible to everybody because at the moment nature, it feels a little bit like it's all locked up in the countryside. And so something that's really important with the youth element is, well, if we have a site in this part of England, do you think that's going to work for people? Can, can they access it? Are you happy with, is it, you know, is our, is our system fair? Are we actually helping you in the future or, are we, you know, are we continuing the same errors of the past? So having fresh ideas and is really helpful for an organisation. And I think also young people see things in a much more black and white kind of way. Something's either right or it's wrong. And it, it's so easy when you're working on something to get sucked into the details of, well, this is, it's difficult because of this and it's challenging because of this. And to have young people just there saying, you shouldn't do that because it's wrong is really, really helpful for grounding you and reminds you of why you're doing things in the first place. So really helpful. And it's giving them, I suppose, a sense of ownership as well, that they're steering this um, for the future, which is kind of the old model never did, never gave kids or, you know, teens a voice in in kind of big decision making, did it? I've been part of a few different uh, conservation youth groups. I was invited Actually, when Michael Gove was Environment Secretary, I was invited to be the, the Wildlife Trust Youth Representative at a kind of formal lunch. And we sat around and talked, well, you know, various different youth representatives sat around and talked to uh, NGO directors about youth engagement and why it's important. And they came up, you know, the, the young people at the table came up with some really good ideas. You know, why doesn't every charity have a, a young person in the board meetings why doesn't every youth charity have a youth trustee and it was you know it was really kind of constructive the ideas that there were that were put forward and from my experience none of I didn't really see the the charities acting on the suggestions so I felt like it was a lot about talking about the importance of it and not so much acting on it so almost a tick box exercise you, you always see the same young people as you ambassadors time and time again it's so easy to predict I mean you you almost guessed ours when we spoke the other day <laughs> so, um, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah it's all about giving and give uh, for me Hill Future is about giving a voice to people that don't already have one which is why I was so emphatic about having people from different sectors in the youth panel and yeah. also we've just recruited yeah. um so we've got the voice of Hill Future which is so we have three um 
ambassador roles. They are the rewilding voice, the climate voice and the well-being voice. So the three threads of heal. We've got young people to advocate for those messages. And we've just um, we've got Bella Lack and Holly Gillibrand, which are two very well-known young um, campaigners. But we've also just appointed um, Mark Crisp to be our well-being voice. And he's a fantastic young conservationist, but who doesn't really have a platform yet. And so this is a brilliant opportunity for Heal to work with someone who's really, really talented and to give them a voice. And I just, yeah, working with young people in Heal is the most fun thing. <laughs> brilliant. I just, the uh, episode I recorded before this, um, a couple of nights ago, was with two young passionate conservationists yeah. as well. Um, so 14-year-old. <laughs> Mm-hmm. called yeah so it's good uh good little segue i'm um, quite interesting stuff came up with him um indy green who's 14 and he actually just appeared today on a bbc piece uh where okay. he said he thinks being able to be a, being able to identify birds by their calls is um the closest thing to having a superpower <laughs> that you can have and he did a really good job of explaining you know the joy he's getting out of going out bird watching during lockdown you know when he's not uh kind of homeschooling and then um a 16 year old called Senan Powell who won uh she came third in our first Ealing Wildlife Group photography competition a few years ago and Mm. she's fantastically knowledgeable and passionate conservationist and wildlife photographer but we were talking about them Indy lives up in the countryside in Nottinghamshire uh Senan lives here in West London in a very urban area and just talking about the opportunities Mm. Um, and the discrepancies, I suppose, in, in opportunity that young people get to engage with nature. And one of the things that we talked about at length was kind of diversity and inclusion and not just age demographics in kind of traditional conservation, but also, you know, ethnicity and um, background and things like that. Mm. Um, I think the thing that they said, and, and I agreed with them, is, you know, you walk around a local nature reserve, maybe, and it is definitely um, an abundance of you know, kind of middle-aged white people of a certain age. Um, and I think we do need to do better at kind of diversity and inclusion within the whole conservation movement in the UK. I know you feel the same, Hannah, yeah. Jan, because um, we talked about it previously. Yeah, I mean, Blackbird on Twitter and Instagram really highlighted that. Such an eye-opening experience. Yeah. And the Amazing. different people are so telling. So, so many of us have had our eyes opened and we realise, oh my goodness, we've not we've not even noticed that there is racism in our sector because it hasn't affected us. We've been blind to it. And some people have yeah. said, some people just don't really understand it. They say, you know, our birding club, ha- you know, is open for everyone. Anyone can join. And the thing is, it's not that the sector actively stops people from joining, but we need to make an environment that is welcoming for people. And that is going out to the people who aren't, you know, aren't already using our sites and inviting them. And by representing people of different skin colors in our marketing like it's one of the biggest things um and so it's you know the the fine line between tokenism and representation but i think representation is the you know is the key um and i was reading yeah you know, maya rose craig is i think probably the most famous um young person who speaks about diversity in this country and reading some of her stories i mean i was reading various different various different accounts of people black people on nature reserves having you know you know for example um herpetologists who go and do all sorts of funny surveys in the heather and whatnot and having people come up to them and ask them why they're there and you know that's something as white people Mm. we just 
wouldn't ever think would happen to us we don't even acknowledge it as a thing and yet if you are remotely trespassing in the, for the sake of nature or slightly off the path people look at you in a certain way because they don't expect that you're a nature person so we really need to change what yeah. our idea of a nature conservationist looks like because it can look you know it can look in so many ways and it, it needs to stop being such a white thing for sure yeah, I just had a conversation as well about kind of tokenism versus representation, but it is it's so important um, that we kind of get everyone in and, and this is for everyone. Yeah, um, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's less white and less old. Yeah, essentially. I mean, the thing yeah. as well, if I saw I was speaking to, because I've been tweeting about it a lot, some people kind of in the local wildlife scene have messaged me and said, what do I, you know, I'm really keen to help, but um what do I do about it and I you know I suggested some some actions some ways that they can reach out some different kind of events that they could go to to introduce themselves to people and one of the things we had to discuss was you know they were worried that there's going to be backlash from some of their members and the thing is there probably will but when you bottom line Mm. is it, you know, because people will feel attacked. They'll feel, if you say that the way they've been doing things for years is wrong, they are going to feel attacked. But it's not about attacking people. It's about it's about communicating the message that nature needs everybody to fight for it, and people aren't going to fight for it unless they have access to it and can learn to love it and have the chance to appreciate it. So nature needs to be for everybody if we ever stand a chance of saving it. So I think that's the absolute bottom line. Yeah, completely agree. And there will sometimes be, you know, negative backlash, as you say. I mean, we put on with Ealing Wildlife Group a series of events in Ealing last year for the National Park City Festival, London National Park City Festival. Um, And, you know, we got a bit of criticism at one point for someone said, you know, going in and patronising the natives, you know, in a predominantly Asian area of the borough, um, putting on a pond dipping session. And it's like... (laughs) if we can't put on, you know, nature activities in, in different areas and, and in communities that maybe don't have as much green mm-hmm. space without that kind of criticism, we are living in a pretty um, hostile society for these conversations. Hopefully it's getting better. I think, I think you know, um, you've got to try. And if, you know, you try and you learn and you listen to people's experiences and you do what you think is best. And if you find out that what you did wasn't quite right, you just reevaluate. It's a process of just accepting that you're get it right but you have to absolutely try that that comment was from a middle-aged yeah. white man I yeah. to add. <laughs> but then, you know so you can't, no. you can't do right no. for doing wrong. You, you um one of the things that that hannah and i uh and and the other trustees were particularly um me and hannah is this idea of um experimenting that we we we're, we want to work at very high speed because it's an emergency we know we won't get everything right we take the best judgment we can we do it as fast as we can without being you know incautious um and if things don't quite go right we forgive ourselves and each other and anybody else involved and and try something else we've learned and it's an incredibly healthy way of being and when you apply that to the um to the widening of access and you know do I see myself in in this setting do I come into a room and I don't I'm not the only I'm not the only young person in the room or the only black person in the room or the only and so on um you have you won't always get it right and we we do Hannah and I have discussions about as 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 Hannah said this 
this line between tokenism and representation and the extent to which you simply get on with it, which is what we're tending to do because we feel that's that's showing, not telling, um, is the generally the way that we're going to be. But I'm so proud of the work that Hannah has done, particularly in the last few weeks with the, with the Blackbirders episode in America, which I saw on the day or the morning after it happened. And it was absolutely horrifying. Um, and my son-in-law is half yeah. Jamaican. Yeah. So I, I really have a stake in making this work. Um, you know, I, I really want this to turn into the organisation that Hannah and I both hope it will be by, by this kind of work. Great. Yeah, I think yeah. With tokenism, Brilliant. you you can you cannot worry about tokenism if you know for sure that what you're really doing is taking action. So we, at every single stage of what we're doing, are asking ourselves, is this the right action? So um, I've been reading loads on social media about what we can do. And the first big step that we're doing is, I mean, we're writing a ton of policies at the moment because obviously we're a new organization and we've started with trees, then we did ponds and our third is diversity. So um, I am tasking our youth panel with answering some questions about how they think we should go about divert, you know, in- increasing diversity in, in our in our work and so that's 10 young people from various different backgrounds who will input into that I will input into that and then all of our trustees will input into that so it's something that every single person at Heal is going to think through it's not going to be you know just the management think about it and we say that we're going to do it it's really really important to us so definitely Birders Week was one of the best things to happen to conservation in a long time I believe. It was great long overdue discussion I think yeah for sure. Yeah. So going back to kind of the um, practicalities of what you have planned, um, it all sounds like it's going swimmingly. But have you had have you come up against uh, many challenges or any challenges so far? Um, workload. Separation of life and work. And, um, uh, I would say um, workload and giving vo- the volunteers have come in in such numbers um, that 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 with a with such a young organization with a small core team um being able to give those people meaningful um tasks is challenging and we're we're just trying all the time to you know look across the whole piece and just see how we can bring keep things in balance um yeah it, honestly the only challenges have been um workload and and just being conscious of not wanting to um, disappoint or let down any of our volunteers because we we ch- you know every one of them we're grateful for for them coming forward yeah yeah no i don't identify with that we've lots of people looking to get involved with leading wildlife group as well lockdown has made it tough as well because we can't get out and do practical volunteering mm. sessions um oh but now i've got a good good news story that i didn't tell you last week we've got full funding to uh to go ahead with our nature reserve oh, well idea. Done. that's fantastic um, yeah so that's that so- the good news from last week so uh we'll get the money at the end of the month and then hopefully we can start some socially distant nature reserve creation task day so that'll be good that's wonderful (laughs) yeah yeah so you heard it here first folks (laughs) um so look overall guys i think we're, we're running up to the hour um it's fine if we go over a bit but i think an hour is a good good time period overall i think it's very safe to say 
that you guys have been overwhelmed with support and interests and uh, now is a good time for for rewilding projects in the UK. Um, one question or one kind of um, concern I hear sometimes if I'm on you know a rewilding webinar or listening to um, speakers at conferences and things is um, do you think competition is going to be an issue between rewilding projects? Obviously, NEP are like almost the trailblazers of combining rewilding with a commercial enterprise. And a lot of people will only be able to afford to go into rewilding if they make it kind of a commercial enterprise, whether that's, you know, farm produce or whether that's kind of camping, glamping, ecotourism, wildlife tourism, things like that. But do you think there's going to come a point where, you know, rewilding not as a bit passe, but there's almost so many um, things going on that it, it'll be difficult for people to get involved anymore. Everyone rewilds so differently. So yeah. I think rewilding, competition to rewild will be one of the best things to happen to nature in so long. I really love to see that happen. But, um, you know, it's something that Jan and I have talked about is, you know, could we partner up with other organisations? And often we think, well, our vision is so different to theirs. The same you know, ultimately the same goal, but the ways to achieve it are so different. So I think that because everyone is going about it in a slightly different way, some, you know, for example, we are quite clear that we're not going to sell any meat products from our livestock, whereas NEP do sell meat. There are so many different things like that that make us all such different groups. And as a result, all of the habitats that we look after will be so different that we're going to be such a diverse bunch that I don't think it's it's competition as such. I just think I'm I'm excited to see the diversity of different groups popping up, and I think um, size as well. Size is something that comes into it. And Alistair Cameron from um, Somerset Wildlands, I think that's right, Jan. Did I say it right? Yeah, yeah. Um, he he also embraces this idea of us having different types of land managed in different ways and even the smallest bits of land he refers to as calling them stepping stones for nature so the country is mm. dotted with um rewilding areas of all different sizes um doing slightly different things so yes there might be competition but i totally welcome it yeah it's going to be a good thing they talk about bigger better yeah, more joined up right with wild landscapes and space uh, the more people involved. Yeah, the what I'm what I heard when you asked that question, Sean, was possibly or uh, so I agree with everything Hannah said, but I think what you might have meant was you know are there enough visitors to go around? You know, are there enough um, people that want to camp for the weekend? Are there enough people that? Yeah, that that's one aspect. aspect. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I would have said yeah. that um, a lot of the people who are undertaking rewilding work are already landowners who are doing it as part of what they're doing, unlike NEP, which has done it, um, well, it's not 100% because they've got other things going on too, but I think that um, the, the, the organisations that set up to, um, to have visitors, to have users of their sites um, will be very different from landowners who have private settings that don't want people to come on their land that might be doing it with government yeah subsidy in mind or 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 the you know sort of elm scheme um but frankly the more the yeah. better we just need as many people as possible because we're so far behind we've got such a long way to go so so again for anyone listening you can have a, an amazing effect if you are lucky enough to have a garden you can have an amazing effect just in your small garden 
Um, that's there's really good evidence of that that that, that gardens are now often more, more biodiverse than, than than a field in the country. So don't think you have yeah. to do it at a big scale. Um, it's very attainable, even on a balcony. Yeah, and I heard an amazing fact that actually the area of UK gardens is more than the area of all local nature reserves combined, yeah. um, which is absolutely yeah. incredible. So you can rewild on a very, very small scale too. You will make a Definitely. difference. And those kind of little pockets kind of hold the biodiversity for the larger landscapes that will come later, don't won't they as well? Speaking so, of little pockets as well, yes. something I want to make very clear is that rewilding is complementary to wildlife conservation. So often, you know, you can you could perceive it to be challenging wildlife conservation. And on the one hand, you know, rewilding it, it has has come about because conservation alone isn't enough to reverse the biodiversity declines. But the um you know, wildlife conservation, the small pockets like garden size, but, you know, nature reserve size, without those and without human management of those sites, we wouldn't, you know, have half the nature left to preserve. So those small sites, those small pockets of biodiversity are what will spill out onto our rewilded landscape. They are they are the hope for the future. So I just wanted to put that in there that we are fans of conservation too. <laughs> yeah, we are. yeah, really yeah. good point. I listened to Alistair Driver from Rewilding Britain um, a couple of times recently, and he was at pains to say that, that actually the reciprocal benefit of having these little pockets and yeah. larger landscapes actually can, you know, they can be a reservoir for species mm -hmm. inter, kind of interspersed yeah. between each and populating each in both directions, not mm -hmm. just in Definitely. one direction. Um, so that's really, really important. Um, okay, so really crunch time how can people help heal rewilding and your vision well we have this um way of supporting us which we think is really nifty and people do love it and it's called heal too. Too. <laughs> it's called heal three by three yeah. so um briefly there is a genius british invention called what three words and it's a, a, a team based in west london actually who have divided the surface of the entire planet sea and land into three meter by three meter squares and given each one a random three word address so paper dot clock dot light and that address is permanent so um we have realized that we can uh, have people support a three meter by three meter square of land um, with a donation of twenty pounds, and once yeah, once so we want to root them into the land. We don't just don't want to connect them. Don't want to root them into this piece of land. And um, once we acquire a site, we will work with what three words who've been great to um, get the list of what three words addresses for the, the three word addresses for that site and then randomly allocate yeah. them to the people who's donated so if you give 20 pounds you might um, have a, a square which is you know just inside a field and at the moment is pasture but suddenly gets brambles on it or an anthill or whatever and um, so that piece of land will um, be sponsored by them and then um the other clever thing is that you can program a drone with a what three words address. So our plan for an additional uh, um, donation will be to hover drones above people's three meter by three meter squares and take a photograph so that people can be anywhere in the world and see how their square of land is changing. And you can also look up the satellite view of the, of the, of the land using the what three words um, 
uh, online map or app. Yeah. So it's a re- it's a it's a way of people making a real difference in a aff- relatively affordable way. For some people, twenty pounds is too much, but we're hoping a lot of people will find that's a, a really good way of supporting us. Yeah, and it's a tangible way of showing people what they've donated yeah. to, right? Yeah, exactly. And they make yeah. great birthday presents. Great, great birthday presents. They and do, and Christmas, Christmas. and yeah, Valentine's, <laughs> all of the all of the presents. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant, yeah. guys! It has been absolutely brilliant to talk to you. As I said at the start, I am very excited about what you're doing. You know from our previous chats that I'm very excited about rewilding myself in future. Um, not just myself, but rewilding some land myself in future. Um, what advice would you give to someone starting out on this journey and thinking that, you know, doing some form of rewilding on whatever scale is is for them? Um, any pearls of wisdom that you can impart? Tricky question, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Believe that no matter, well, grow your, if you have a lawn, let some of it grow long. That That's really worth doing because flowers pop up. Um, but just believe that that keeping an untidy, some untidiness, letting go of, of control, feeling you have to control things and and really then looking um, and those things make a big difference. So I think the pearl of wisdom would be get let, let go a little bit. Yeah, brilliant. What about you? Lena? I have to say it would be exactly the same. <laughs> It's just about being messy, embracing being messy. Um, We have such an obsession with short lawns and with perfectly cut hedges. And honestly, with with lockdown, my uh, my landlords haven't been round to mow the lawn. And we have a jungle in the back garden and we've had all sorts of creatures popping up in it. And now they don't want to cut the lawn anymore. So if you just if Mm, you just look back and see what will happen, you'll be amazingly you'll be surprised. Yeah, I just I have an example of that from today. I got a couple of um, an email and a, a tweet saying that a pyramidal orchid has just popped up in South Ealing Cemetery for the first time, they think, ever, that the local orchid enthusiasts think. Um, so we've emailed the council ranger and they're going to uh, yeah. cordon it off and not not strim this Wonderful. year, which Things is great. Things are changing, definitely. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, it's been absolutely brilliant. I can't wait to find out um, where and when you secure a site down the line. I will be keeping in touch. And um, if I can help in any way, um, I would love to. I know that I missed the boat on the first recruitment drive (laughs) for helpers. but um, It's been an absolute pleasure. And I hope that um, some listeners to the podcast will consider a three by three meter square, at least for the bargain price (laughs) of £20 to help a a fledgling rewilding group um, succeed. How kind of you. So so kind of you to ask us on. Really grateful, Sean. Thank you. No, no, it's been absolutely great. So I think um, with that, just to thank you again, Hannah and Jan, it's been an absolute pleasure and um, we'll sign off from there. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. No worries. Bye now. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Sean's Wildlife Podcast with myself, Sean McCormick, produced and edited by Thomas Dinas. If you're enjoying the series so far, I would really appreciate it if you consider donating to our Patreon link below. That will really help us out with producing the podcast and covering the costs involved. See you next episode. Mm-hmm.